2: A new twist in transit talks.
3: They can't just shut it down.
2: Dueling arguments before the Labour Relations Board that could have a big impact on commuters, no matter who wins.
4: State of local emergency in Pemberton.
5: So much is out of your control, so yeah, you're just hoping for the best. Expanded
4: evacuation alerts with more rain in the forecast.
2: And boosting rental supports.
5: We're really wanting to focus on keeping people where they're housed
2: the B.C. rent bank gets a big deposit from the government, with some saying it's still not nearly enough.
4: You're watching Global B.C. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. A B.C. Labor Relations Board hearing that lasted most of the day could have a major impact on commuters very soon.
2: Striking transit supervisors want to expand their picket lines, which would bring the region's entire public transit system to a standstill. TransLink is trying to stop it. Our Kristen Robinson joins us live from the busy commercial Broadway transit hub. And Kristen, what's the board ruling on? The union, QP 4500,
6: wants to expand its picket lines to outside SkyTrain facilities. If the Labor Relations Board gives the green light, all bus, sea bus, and SkyTrain services, including the West Coast Express, could come to a halt this weekend. Now 180 unionized transit workers are set to walk off the job again as of midnight Friday if mediated talks with the Coast Mountain Bus Company don't lead to a deal. Their union is arguing those workers should be allowed to expand where they set up picket lines to include SkyTrain stations and facilities along with bus stops and sea bus terminals. That would essentially shut down Metro Vancouver's public transit system with 300,000 commuters caught in the middle of a 72-hour full-scale strike. For its part, TransLink is asking the board to declare bus and train services essential.
7: I've been taking the transit for the past, like, six weeks now to get out to Surrey. From here, So that's like five different trips because there's two buses I take and two trains. Like these are union workers. They deserve to have unionization and bargaining power and all that. But they're not the only ones. To be very
6: hard, yeah? And to affect income too, because now you can't work and you have to pay
3: bills. So, to be terrible. So I think that's why it's such a great strategy for them to just strike like that since People just can't live their lives without transit, so, you know, that's the way to, that's how they get their way. Now TransLink
6: and its operating companies claim the union failed to prove its case at the Labour Relations Board hearing. The vice chair will now consider their no evidence motions with a decision possible by noon Friday. Chris, Sophie?
2: All right, thanks for that. Kristen Robinson reporting live in Vancouver. We will, of course, be keeping an eye on that situation.
4: Well, the flood situation is a little better in Pemberton tonight, but a lot of people are still living under an evacuation alert.
2: The local state of emergency continues, and Grace Key is there checking on residents nervous about more rain in the forecast.
8: An evacuation order has been lifted for Tracy, Rosa Pollock, and five other properties in Pemberton by Airport Road. On Tuesday, the floodwaters came close to her hangar and offices. Luckily, there was no damage, and by the next day, levels had dropped.
5: Well, it was pretty high, like around the uh, the hangar and offices. It was didn't quite get in, but it was quite high and quite close. But uh, today, it looks, it looks better, yeah. How
8: do you feel now?
5: Yep, better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's a bit of a relief, but we'll see what happens with the rain now.
8: Dozens of properties in Pemberton and in the Squamish-Lillouette Regional District remain under an evacuation alert after heavy rains hit the area, causing creeks and the Lillouette River to rise.
2: This is an unusual situation for us to have this sort of event in January. This is fairly typical for October and for spring, uh, but this is is unusual for January. Typically, we would be uh, frozen and under snow right now. And um, and so this warm temperature is,
8: is certainly concerning for us. The water levels have gone down. Residents are not out of danger yet. Rain and snow melt with warmer temperatures are expected.
7: The forecast does look favorable in that it's not heavy rains, but it's not entirely predictable. So at this point, we're going to watch the weather over the next 24, 48 hours.
8: That means more alerts or orders could be issued in the coming days. Grace Key, Global News.
4: And while snowmelt is contributing to the flooding in Pemberton and other regions right now, it's not the only place snow is disappearing. Troy Charles is live on Cypress Mountain tonight, where the ski season has gone from bad to worse. Troy, all the North Shore slopes are closed.
7: Chris, here at the base of Cyprus, and really there's no way around it, it is ugly up here with this relentless rain and temperatures hovering around 10 degrees. It's really just wreaked havoc on what little snowpack had already accumulated here on the North Shore Mountains. As we get a little tighter shot in here, some of the main runs here in the lights at Cyprus, and you can see the snow is as sparse as can be, just grass and rocks visible all over the mountain. But don't forget, it was just two weeks ago. This is how things looked here at Cyprus as we're in the midst of a cold snap and it looked like winter was finally here and lovers of the North Shore Mountains were rejoicing. But of course, that didn't last long. And with these unseasonably warm temperatures mixed with an atmospheric river, Cypress, Seymour and Grouse were all closed today due to poor conditions. This comes after what has been a rough season on the North Shore Mountains. It was already late to start due to the warm temperatures that closed out 2023. And now with this rain, it's just created less than ideal conditions for skiers and boarders.
6: So the trend for temperatures is favorable in that we're moving back towards seasonal temperatures and seasonal freezing levels. However, we're moving towards more of a drier trend. So over uh, certainly the latter half of the weekend and into early next week, uh, the precipitation looks quite minimal, if any at all.
7: Now, looking ahead to tomorrow, Grouse has already confirmed that they will be closed again tomorrow. Seymour will be open. And here at Cyprus, they have time slot for 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. So I'd say if you really, really got to get out tomorrow, just be known that these conditions are not ideal.
4: And Seymour is open, just to clarify. Good to know, tomorrow at least. Troy, thanks very much for that. Some pretty wild swings in the weather lately. Senior meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us with more on these record-breaking temperatures, Christy.
5: So Chris, today could be potentially the fourth day in a row that we've broken record temperatures. And I'll show you the numbers when I come back, but that is substantial when you get four days in a row of record-breaking temperatures. And it's not just the daily temperatures or daily records that are broken. These are monthly records, minimums and maximums. This is a map though, showing you the temperature anomaly over the last couple of days. So the warmth has been felt not only in BC, but across Western Canada, where we're talking about these areas in Northern BC and Alberta, Uh, and the prairies 20 to 25 degrees above seasonal for this time of year. In fact, Maple Creek, Saskatchewan hit 21.1 degrees yesterday. That was warmer than it was in Florida. Now, when I come back, we'll have a look at the records that we're expecting today across the region, and we'll check into your weekend whether we have any precipitation in the forecast in the long range. Back to you.
4: All right. Look forward to that. Thank you, Christy.
2: Now some
5: breaking news for you.
2: Global News has learned a high-profile member of the Vancouver Police Board has suddenly resigned following an emergency meeting. Katherine Urquhart has the details.
9: Here's what we know so far. An emergency meeting of the board was held last night between about 6 and 8 p.m., during which time... Faye Whiteman announced her resignation from the board on which she served as vice chair. Exactly why Whiteman resigned is unclear, although sources say tensions between board members have increased in recent months. Whiteman has been on the board for about four years and two years remained on her appointment which was made by the provincial government. We have requested a comment from the Solicitor General and are waiting to hear back we're told that will happen once they receive the official resignation letter. Previously, Whiteman was CEO of the Vancouver Foundation and she was with BC Children's Hospital Foundation. We will keep you updated as we learn more about this developing story. All right, Catherine, thank you.
4: Vancouver police are seeking witnesses to an incident that's left a 15-year-old girl with life-altering injuries. The student was crossing West 16th Avenue near Lord Bing Secondary around two o'clock Tuesday afternoon when she was struck by a gray Mercedes. The driver remained at the scene. The girl was seriously hurt and remains in hospital undergoing treatment. Vancouver police would like to hear from anyone who saw what happened or happens to have dash cam video of the incident.
2: Two people are facing charges after a violent robbery at the Arc'teryx clothing store in Kitsilano. VPD says it happened Monday evening. The suspects used bear spray and stole more than $25,000 in merchandise. They fled in a taxi, but information from witnesses helped officers track down that cab and arrest both suspects. 35 year old Anthony Bridge has been charged with theft, assault and possession of a weapon for a dangerous purpose. 30 year old Alana DeSilva Silva has also been charged with
4: theft. The province is making an $11 million investment in rental supports for those in danger of losing their homes. B.C.'s rental market is the tightest in the country right now, and as Aaron MacArthur reports, the units that do come on the market are increasingly unaffordable.
10: Looking for an apartment to rent? Good luck. No vacancy signs sprouting up on lawns across Vancouver. The Canada Mortgage Housing Corporation releasing data that puts the situation into context we are seeing rental affordability deteriorate nationwide it's just more pronounced in the larger cities the vacancy rate is as low as it has ever been in most markets across the country in victoria the rate is about the national average at 1.6 percent in vancouver it's less than one percent where the average cost of a two-bedroom purpose-built rental is now twenty one hundred and eighty one dollars a month experts say with turnover rates that number in reality is much higher and it's leading to a crisis in households that rent. As of you know, October 2023, about one of the five units surveyed in the purpose-built rental market was in rental arrears. B.C. taking steps to address the surging cost of rent, boosting funding to provincial rent banks. $11 million is being invested to help people when they can't make ends meet. The money to provide interest-free loans to people on the margins. Rent banks now dealing with nearly 500 requests for help every month
5: we're really wanting to focus on keeping people where they're housed and we know that it costs the renter the landlord and community when people are facing eviction and have to make those moves
10: cmhc believes the recently announced pause on international students will ease some pressure on rents across the country experts disagree pointing to restrictions on short-term rentals
11: it's just not nearly enough to really address the issue which is this sort of Enormous, chronic undersupply of, of uh, rental units.
10: BC has been proactive in increasing supply of purpose-built rentals, but the changes aren't happening soon enough to ease pressure on people desperate to find an affordable home. Aaron MacArthur, Global News.
2: BC Ferries is releasing its plan to avoid the fiasco of last summer's sailings that were plagued by technical difficulties and cancellations. Kylie Stanton has more on the maintenance and retrofit schedule aimed at ensuring the aging fleet gets the attention it needs without
3: inconveniencing passengers. Between vessel breakdowns, sailing cancellations and record high demand, it was a summer to remember. Or perhaps in the case of BC Ferries, one they'd rather forget. It's chaos. But it seems lessons have been learned. The
10: strategy today is um, frankly best practice.
3: BC Ferries provided an update Wednesday on the process to maintain and refit its aging fleet. The corporation dividing its plan into three parts. The capital plan, operational maintenance and refit.
12: Going into 2024, we've got about 20 vessels scheduled for refit and we've changed our approach slightly in 2024 to compress the refit window.
3: 12 will undergo refit before the peak summer season, including all three of the coastal class vessels in order to replace the motor rotors. The noise and vibrations they created had proven to be too disruptive to use in dock, resulting in double starts, effectively cutting the vessel's lifespan in half.
12: We're also fitting a variable speed drive system to those vessels, which will remove the starting issue.
3: But with over 123,000 sailings on 25 routes carrying more than 20 million people just last year, the question is what kind of impact this work will have on the service.
7: It is a very complicated ballet.
3: BC Ferries says it has seven vessels available to fill the gaps as well as water taxis for smaller
7: routes. The goal throughout all of this is to minimize or eliminate the disruption to customers in the event of, of an unexpected repair.
3: But addressing the reliability of the service and the increasing demand for it comes down to one thing.
12: The key to getting more resiliency into our system is, is ultimately more vessels.
3: A new major vessel program is in the works, but it will be years before the goals are realized. For now, it's a matter of just making sure history doesn't repeat itself. Kylie Stanton, Global News.
4: Next to affordability, transportation might be one of the biggest aggravations of living in the Lower Mainland. And a new study provides some very compelling evidence that bridge improvements should be focused less on the North Shore and more on the Fraser River crossings the trends that show how traffic is changing next on the
11: news hour what up mcgee secondary school
2: billionaire entrepreneur and dallas mavericks part owner mark cuban is giving a shout out to grade 8 students in vancouver that's later on the news hour
4: and okanagan residents surprised by an eerily purple sky what caused it coming up later as well
2: Right now, though, Global News has obtained data from the Ministry of Transportation, giving us a better understanding of Metro Vancouver bridge traffic.
4: And as John Waugh reports, the data shows downtown is not the central work hub it once was, and traffic flows are changing because of it.
13: If you build it, they will cross. But the frequency with which British Columbians are using some of the province's busiest bridges is causing some urban planners to take notice. And I think that really talks to how we're changing as a region, that where, say, downtown was a primary uh, nucleus for employment, we see that changing. Looking at the BC Ministry of Transportation's numbers, while there are some fluctuations, the overall picture compared to five years ago shows traffic on the Portman Bridge is increasing rapidly. On the Alex Fraser, it's also climbing steadily. Traffic on the Ironworkers is mostly stable with a few upticks while traffic on the Lionsgate Bridge is seeing an overall decline. And I think that this really points to the challenge of ensuring that we have a transportation network as opposed to a spoke hub in and out of downtown. There are even times when volume of the Portman rivals the two North Shore bridges combined.
4: I don't think the growth uh, in places like Surrey, Langley, Abbotsford is a surprise to anyone.
13: While more people are moving south of the Fraser for more affordable housing, the catch, their jobs require them to get behind the wheel and commute. One in three transportation jobs and one in four manufacturing jobs are, are really, uh, those actually live, uh, those people live south of the Fraser. To help ease the growing gridlock on the Portman and Alex Fraser bridges, the provincial government's top priority.
4: I think it highlights the importance of shifting people to transit. Uh, you can't entirely build your way out of this.
13: Still, the province is touting ongoing work on the Patillo Bridge and the upcoming Sarita Langley Skytrain and Massey Tunnel projects. Yan says different planning around transit is also needed. We not only have housing development, but we also have employment development that is connected by transit. He says build those up and the easing of the bridge traffic will come. John Hua, Global News.
4: Just ahead, artificial intelligence in the courtroom. A BC lawyer finds out it isn't the answer she hoped for, why she is now under investigation.
2: And more shocking testimony at the Winters Hotel inquest and how the fatal fire could have been prevented. Well, the Law Society of B.C. has launched an investigation into the conduct of a lawyer accused of submitting bogus cases to the court. Cases cooked up using artificial intelligence. Yeah,
4: this is believed to be the first case of its kind in Canada. And in another extremely rare development, the lawyers who discovered the phony arguments are suing.
14: Lawyer Chong Ke was called to the bar five years ago. The court heard she's not a sophisticated user of computers and has little experience with artificial intelligence. Ms. Ke tried AI for fun, but never in her professional career until two months ago, according to her affidavit. Imagine yourself as a young lawyer. She was mortified. It's been a living nightmare, said Ms. Ke's lawyer, John Forstrom. The court heard in November Misca made a command to chat GPT to search for a case about traveling overseas to visit parents. The program generated three cases, two of which Misca put before the court to support her application in a high net worth separation matter. Misca's client seeking to take his children to China for a visit. Now, the lawyers for the mother who opposed the trip couldn't find the cases Ms. Ke was relying upon. Lauren and Fraser McLean asked repeatedly for copies, but they were never provided. Ms. Ke later stating she wasn't relying on the cases anymore. But why not? The McLeans ultimately discovering the bogus briefs. Ms. Ke's lawyer says it was an error and there's no evidence she intended to mislead the court by relying on fake cases. The McLean's now suing Ms. for special costs, presumably in the thousands of dollars. Is this the first case of its kind in Canada?
7: It is, and the impact of the case is chilling for the legal community.
14: Why do you say that?
7: If we don't fact-check artificially generated intelligence uh, materials, and they're inaccurate, it can lead to an existential threat to the legal system.
14: The Law Society of B.C. tells Global News it is investigating the conduct of Chong Ke. Now, even though the fake cases, which were put before the court, were not relied upon, Justice Masuhara said the court is always concerned at every moment with the integrity of the process. On Friday, the McLeans will make their case as to why Ms. Ke should be held personally and financially responsible. Ramina Dea, Global News.
4: The inquest into a fatal fire at a Vancouver SRO hotel has heard from a director of the company that manages the building, indicating the fire could have been prevented. Angela Jung reports, but first a warning. Some of the security video from the fire shows the chaos and panic inside the Winters Hotel, and it might be upsetting
1: chaotic moments captured on surveillance cameras burning debris fall from the ceiling as residents go door to door alerting neighbors prior to this deadly fire a minor blaze was sparked inside a unit just three days before vancouver firefighters put the winters hotel under a fire watch grant barton An Atira manager testifies at the coroner's inquest it would be unrealistic for staff to do patrols for the fire watch as they may be forced to choose between administering life-saving naloxone or conducting patrols. That smaller fire also prompted the sprinkler system to be shut off and no one was called to get it back up and running in time. The building manager testified last week staff was instructed not to call companies that charge overtime and to stay within budget whenever possible. The company that provides fire supplies to Atira told jurors overtime charge would typically be double time. But Barton says fire life and safety should have been called. We would never complain about the money spent there. A lawyer for Winter's residents suggests it appears the April 11th fire wouldn't have happened if the call was made to the fire company April 8th, 9th or 10th. The fire might have been knocked down if there was one more extinguisher available. Barton admits the call, if it happened, would have changed the trajectory of this. But he says there wasn't just one thing that went wrong, blaming systemic issues of being in the downtown East Side. Barton testifies since the April 11th fire, they've improved fire safety training, created a safety task force, and would hire a security company to do firewatch patrols. Witness testimonies are expected to wrap up Thursday. After that, the jury of two men and three women will begin their deliberations. Angela Jung, Global News.
2: Cineplex is cancelling all showings of a South Indian film across this country, including here in B.C., following some violent incidents at several movie theaters in the greater Toronto area. Global's Amar Khan has more.
12: We've certainly had some concerns raised by our local police service um, that uh, we need to be on, on serious uh, Um, uh, We need to be seriously vigilant because of the incidents at other theaters in the GTHA.
15: Jeff Knoll says his film.ca theater was warned by police for continuing to show Malai Valiban, an Indian film in the South Indian language Malayalam. In the last week, shootings have occurred at theaters in Richmond Hill, Vaughan, and Scarborough. No one was harmed in any of the incidents. While police would not confirm if the movie was the reason, they say the incidents are targeted and believed to be carried out by the same people. Following the shootings, a spokesperson for Cineplex confirmed that they pulled Malai Kutai Valiban from their theaters. Over the past two years, there have been a handful of incidents, all relating to popular South Indian films. In 2022, Film.ca had two screens slashed, causing more than $10,000 in damage.
12: Uh, When we played a a Tamil film called Pawnee and Selvin, uh, I had death threats.
15: Noel says he doesn't believe this is about the content of any specific film, but about money. It's not
12: one specific uh, language and it's not one particular film it seems to be the larger films that are expected to do bigger business tend to elicit more angst
15: amongst uh, I probably competitors He says certain movies like Nan Selvin a Tamil film is his largest draw ever
12: We did literally hundreds of thousands of uh, tickets over the course of the couple months that we played the film
15: As for moviegoers they hope the violence stops we are coming from London actually we, we could not find any screens all
7: there. We had, like, uh, the releasing had some issues over here. It's been frustrating
3: because uh, we need to come all the way to Oakville to see the movie.
4: Still ahead here on the News Hour, political rebranding. I'm Kevin Falcon, leader of BC United. The brand new message from BC United and a new address for Green Party leader Sonia Furstenau, both hoping to unseat the NDP.
2: And later in sports, all in for Canucks GM Patrick Alvine and breaking trade news.
14: We're already who BC starts their
13: morning with.
9: The fact that they tune in to us means I think that we're doing a good job.
13: Viewers just want trustworthiness, they want us to be credible.
2: Wake up to Global News Morning.
13: Weekdays from 5
2: a.m. to 9 a.m.
0: We are B.C.'s News.
2: A new state of affairs is emerging in the province's political landscape ahead of October's election. A new poll puts the B.C. United in third place behind the NDP and the upstart B.C. conservatives.
4: But as Richard Zussman shows us, Kevin Falcon is trying to turn things around with a brand new PR blitz. I'm Kevin Falcon, leader of BC United.
11: It's the first Let's glimpse at a new look.
4: David Eby wants to make it harder for you to fill your fridge BC up.
11: United launching an ad campaign to raise the profile of the party's new name and leader, Kevin Falcon.
4: It's not just branding for the party, it's branding for our message. And our message is going to be about the cost of living crisis, the crime crisis and the health care crisis and how we've got a plan to fix it. I'm running for premier.
11: A new like poll out Wednesday from Research Co. showing why it's needed. If the election was held today, 46% of decided voters would vote BC NDP, 25% for the upstart BC Conservatives, 17% for BC United, and 11% for the Greens. This while 83% of the BC NDP voters from 2020 plan to vote for the party again. Just 41% of BC Liberal voters plan on voting for the party's current version, United. It's definitely not where you want to be, just a few months before the next election, when you're essentially holding on, to, holding on to less than half of your base. We're just starting our campaign now. Uh, talk to me in a couple of months and see what you think. My name's Kevin Falcon. And it's not just questions about who United is. Falcon himself continues to lose ground when it comes to leader approvals. 53% approve of the job David Eby's doing. 34% for Green Party leader Sonia Furstenau. for Conservative Party of BC leader John Rustad and 31% for Falcon. Gavin Falcon used to be at 44% and right now he's at 31% so there's definitely a situation where the level of connectivity that we used to have from the BC Liberal leader uh, is no longer there under the BC United. And it's not just Falcon looking for the political shakeup. First and now will be running again but not in her current riding in the Cowichan Valley. Instead it will be here in Victoria Beacon Hill. I've defied expectations in every election that I've run in. I've won every election I've run in and that's my intention in this riding.
4: This is your average one-bedroom apartment here in Vancouver.
11: As for the United ads, get used to them. The party plans to run this full blitz until March. Richard Lissman, Global News, Victoria.
4: It's been one year since BC took steps to decriminalize drugs, treating addiction as a health issue rather than a criminal one.
2: The one year anniversary comes as the province is now eight years into a public health emergency because of the illicit toxic drug supply. Almost 14,000 people in BC have died due to unregulated drugs since 2016. The province says it has already seen a decrease in the criminalizing of people who are living with addiction. But BC's chief coroner says despite the shift, the infrastructure and response aren't quite where they need to be yet. And that means the toxic drug supply needs to be addressed.
8: Well, it's it's critically important to ensure that people don't feel that they will be arrested, punished, harmed if they come forward with their drug use, that they can come and ask for help, help seek help. That's the really important part of decrim. But of course, the supply is still toxic. So decriminalization hasn't addressed supply and people are still using Uh, toxic drugs. Estimates by experts in our province are that up to 225,000 people are using substances and are at risk of dying.
2: LaPointe says fentanyl is easily created and accessible in this province. Last year, more than 2,500 people died as a result of the toxic drug supply in BC, the highest number ever recorded. It's the leading cause of death of British Columbians between the ages of 10 and 59.
4: Still ahead, Mark Cuban makes a wish come true for some Vancouver students. We're pretty surprised and shocked. How the billionaire businessman just helped bring a lesson from the boardroom into the classroom. And
2: what's with that purple haze in the Okanagan? How science helps solve the mystery.
11: When temperature records
4: were being smashed across the province. The deep freeze isn't letting up yet.
5: We had 21 bro- records broken across the province today.
4: The global news team was prepared. Exposed,
10: skin freezing in minutes. And brave the bone chilling cold.
5: It's nasty out here. The
10: fountain frozen to keep British Columbians informed.
5: We got even colder temperatures through the day today. Tune back in late weekend into Monday.
4: We are BC's News.
2: Some Okanagan residents were surprised to see the sky briefly turn purple this morning.
4: It looked really cool. This is what it looked like across Kelowna, Penticton and Summerland. One resident says it began around 7.15 this morning, lasted only about 10 minutes. Environment Canada meteorologist Armel Castellan tells Global News this effect is similar to a sunrise or a sunset scenario that produces an orange or purple sky. And in this case, the sun's rays were likely being reflected by the clouds and traveling through a fog bank, which scattered the light and briefly produced that violet color. So cool. Nature is amazing and
2: strange. Yeah. All right. Let's bring in uh, senior meteorologist Christy Gordon with more on the purple haze and the weather and the warm temperatures. Christy.
5: Yeah, so I just thought I'd show you a touch of the uh, potential daytime highs because Environment Canada has not issued the list yet, but these are the potentials. They're nowhere near the heat that we saw over the last couple of days where uh, Abbotsford hit 18 degrees, for example, but these are still above seasonal and breaking records, Uh, so we could see a few of them, and this is day number four of broken records. Now, in terms of rainfall, I want to show you this. BC River Forecast Centre issuing these numbers. Since Friday, they've seen anywhere from 70 to 500 plus millimeters of rain, but the bulk of the region really has received between 100 and 250 millimeters but the upper end 500 plus is substantial and in terms of snow melt up to 150 millimeters of snow melt adding to that moisture in terms of the forecast we've got anywhere from 5 to 50 millimeters so still substantial in some areas thus the reason for the flood watch and still a flood warning in place for the Liliwet River. Uh, Squamish River as well as the Chequemish River. So here's a look. This is the major system still pulling in that moisture but it is beginning to shift east so we're not too far away from the end of this but this is the distribution through tonight and the day tomorrow. So west coast of Vancouver Island we're watching Sunshine Coast and Howe Sound. Most other areas minimal amounts and the rain will come in small waves so don't leave home without your rain jacket. It will come and go. Mild conditions expected still tomorrow so I wouldn't rule out the possibility of a few records tomorrow but overall we're going to see a transition towards cooler weather Uh, as we had throughout the day some areas may actually drop in temperature here's a look at your Friday we still have a chance of a shower in the mix but overall the long range is looking back to near seasonal in terms of temperature but right through the middle part of next week, it doesn't look like we have any precipitation in the forecast, which is great news. I know for a lot of people, not so great news for the skiers out there. This shot is from Ellison, if you're wondering, that's near uh, Kelowna. Carolyn sharing that with us, uh, yes, the sunrise this morning showing that beautiful purple. And yes, it was caused by the fog, that reflection of the sunrise there.
2: So it was just pointed out to us as well, Christy, what's the saying with the red sky...
4: Red sky in the morning. I that's got to apply for purple sky in the morning too. Right? Red sky in the morning, sailors warning.
15: I don't know. Yeah,
5: but this one is a little bit different because when it's red sky in the morning, it has to reflect off of the clouds that are coming in indicating a say a system for example.
8: Mm-hmm. It's
5: different when it's just fog that is creating that or it's the flying so it purple people either. Really as to to <laughs> right or that? <laughs>
4: we've, we've departed from science with that explanation. That's well, not what real. It is that what you're like. <laughs> I think so.
0: All right. Or it's purple haze. Purple haze. Jimi <laughs> Hendrix is watching. Excuse what? me Ooh. while I kiss the sky. <laughs> <laughs> or purple rain, if you want to go Prince. Yeah, uh, that's right. You have breaking news. Well, um, the Canucks have an Elias. We all know that. Now they have an Elias. They have made a big trade with the Calgary Flames. Elias Lindholm is now a Vancouver Canuck. He's the top six forward they wanted. We'll talk about it. Look forward to that. Someone's going you're not going to like. Oh, yeah. Also coming up. I hope one of you guys
11: turns into an amazing entrepreneur.
2: Local grade eight business students thrilled to get a message from billionaire Mark Cuban.
4: To developing stories, no one connects you to your community better than BC's number one news. Come home to the team you trust. Global News Hour at six. We are BC's News.
2: Okay, you dared me. Elias, Elias. You say Elias, I say Elias. You'd Let's be right call both. the
0: whole thing off. Yeah, you'd be right on both, actually. <laughs> Just got to get the right pronunciation on the right guy. Uh, only a few hours after the Canucks gave Patrick Alveen a new contract as the GM. And during that press conference, he was asked by RJ Janauer, will he add players, make a big trade for the stretch run in the playoffs? Well, he didn't tip his hand, but a few hours later, he did make a big trade. The Canucks have picked up Elias Lindholm from the Calgary Flames. He's a forward, can play center, can play the wing, but they have paid a lot to get him. Going to Calgary is Andre Kuzmenko, prospect defenseman Hunter Bristevich and Yanni Yermo. The Canucks are giving them their first round pick this summer. It's not gonna be a high one, obviously. It won't be a lottery pick and a fourth round pick as well. Now this rumor has been floating around for a while. It really picked up today. The Canucks have coveted Lindholm because he should be able to play a Rick Tockett style of game. He can be a two way forward, not bad in the face off circle, can help out in the power play. He's not having a great season in Calgary, but maybe it was because he knew the Flames were kind of dangling him around the NHL to see who wants him. So as we just said, now the Canucks have an Elias and an Elias. But one thing about Lindholm, he is a free agent after this season. He's gonna wanna raise in that 4.85 million he's making right now. So will this just be a rental for the rest of this season or will Vancouver try to keep him? Two years ago, he scored 42. But that's when he had Kachuk and Goudreau around him. He could be a first-liner, could be a second-liner. He's not adverse to checking. But the Canucks have to hope he finds his old game in his new city, and he needs to do it quickly. Now the sad thing here is Andre Kuzmenko is gone. He was loved by the fans, he was loved by his fellow players, but let's be honest, he was no favorite of Rick Talkett's. And it's nothing we haven't said before. Last year, everything went right for Kuzmenko when it came to scoring goals, especially when he was under Bruce Boudreaux, who just basically said, go out and score, don't worry about defense. His shooting percentage was very high last year, incredibly high. And it would be tough to duplicate, and he hasn't. But he just didn't fit in with the new system. Now, they tried to get him to fit in. They tried to get him to play the talk it way, but it wasn't happening. So the Canucks felt... Listen, we have a chance to do it this year. We can't wait for him to come around. We're going to have to move him. So Jim Rutherford got a contract recently, a new one. And now GM Patrick Alveen has one as well. The Canucks rewarded him with a multi-year deal just over two years after he was hired to be the Canucks general manager. And yes, he did inherit a very good core group to build the team around. But the work he and Rutherford did last year allowed that core group to blossom like never before. Let's face it, the Canucks right now are a Stanley Cup contender this year. The hiring of Rick Tockett. We didn't like the way he handled the Bruce Boudreau firing, but let's give him credit. Tockett was the right guy to bring in. The acquisitions this summer have helped. All those moves have got Vancouver to where they are right now. And, of course, it was a Swedish player they brought in today. And they've been lucky with Swedes for the most part, and that includes Alvin who is a Swedish general manager. So one thing I would have to say, just like all of us, Alvin is a bit surprised things have turned around in Vancouver this quickly.
15: Again, I didn't anticipate that. And, and I think that's a credit more to uh, Rick Tocket and, and the coaching staff. I, what I did anticipate was that, or younger players and or talented players, would be able to take a big step forward with a structure and a system in place that Rick Tockett would provide. Um, Am I surprised that it went so quick? Yeah, but I also think what Jim said when we had uh, our opening day of training camp, that this team has uh, the potential and quality to be a good team if everything goes right for us.
0: Well, reports say the Seattle Seahawks have a new head coach, and he's exactly half the age of their old head coach, Pete Carroll. The Hawks are going to hire Mike McDonald, who is only 36. He was the Baltimore Ravens defensive coordinator, and the Ravens did have the best defense in the NFL this year, even though they didn't make the Super Bowl. And, of course, the Seahawks need help on defense, but Seattle doesn't have the kind of players that Baltimore has right now. McDonald is definitely going to have to use his defensive prowess to get Seattle to be better at stopping the run game and get some more pressure on quarterbacks. Speaking of quarterbacks, will this mean that Pete Carroll's reclamation project, Geno Smith, will not be the number one guy next year? McDonald may have different ideas about who he wants to be his quarterback, but do remember unlike Pete Carroll, Mike McDonald will not have a final say in personnel decisions or the draft. That's going to be John Schneider's job, who, of course, has been the GM, but he kind of shared that duty with pete carroll so they've gone from having the oldest coach in the nfl to now going with the youngest coach in the nfl (laughs) extremes it's going to change change big
2: all right thanks squire
0: welcome still to come how a couple of grade eight students from
4: vancouver got the attention of billionaire entrepreneur mark cuban
2: all right jordan armstrong standing by now with a look ahead to global news at 11. jordan
13: Sophie, the clock is ticking on an encampment near the Oak Street Bridge in Vancouver, but tonight there are a lot of questions about what exactly happens next. On Saturday, there was a fire at this encampment. One woman suffered burns and was taken to hospital. The Ministry of Transportation, which owns the property, has posted trespass notices instructing people there to move out by tonight, but they are demanding an extension. We'll tell you why, plus what the government says has been done to encourage campers to accept other accommodation, the full story at 11. Sophie?
2: All right, we'll look for it then. Thanks, Jordan.
4: So a group of Vancouver grade eight students received quite a surprise recently when they took on a assignment about entrepreneurship.
11: What up, McGee Secondary School? Just want to say thanks for doing the presentation on me. And I hope Yes, that is
2: billionaire are... Mark Cuban, the former Dallas Mavericks owner and current Shark Tank panelist. McGee's secondary classmates Ryan Cito and Sean Joe chose him when they were asked to profile an entrepreneur. They were shocked when he actually replied with that video. Did you think it was really him?
3: I think it was really him, but like, I'm pretty surprised because he's like a very busy dude. Like, he gets, like, lots of email, but he just, like, chose us and responded to our email. Did you
2: learn anything from him?
3: Uh, it doesn't hurt to try.
2: That is very true. And McGee Principal Andrew Schofield has a message of his own for Mark Cuban.
11: What up, Mark? Uh, how are you guys doing over there in your shark's tank? Look forward to having you down here in our lion's den. And go, McGee Lions, go.
4: <laughs> as for the young entrepreneurs who originally reached out to cuban sean hopes to start a business someday and ryan says he wants to invent something life-changing to help
0: people good on you boys good luck
2: and then he can bring that invention mm-hmm. to shark tank
0: that's course. right that's right mm-hmm. so that was mark cuban not ai mark cuban that was that the was real, a real deal.
2: deal yeah that was, the, was real the real mark cuban mm-hmm.
4: he told the boys hopefully one of them will come and replace mr wonderful on the shark tank kevin o'leary yeah so no (laughs) no love lost between those two obviously
5: all right quick final word on the weather christy sure so uh if you're sick and tired of the rain we've got a pretty nice forecast in store for you if you're a skier or snowboarder not such great news uh tomorrow though keep your rain jacket handy everyone
4: all right good to see some sunshine in that forecast later anyway thanks for watching everyone have a great night
5: good night all